welcome to the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast, the podcast that follows three integral recovery practitioners on the journey of waking up, growing up, cleaning up, and showing up. Join us and our trailblazing guests as we apply the principles of integral recovery, daily practice, and the aqua map to transcend limitations, accelerate growth, and heal ourselves and hopefully the world. And now here are John Dupuy, Dr. Bob Weathers, and I'm Doug Prater with the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast, episode 12, Applying the Integral Stages in Recovery. Well, welcome back, everyone. This is episode 12, I think, uh, of the the ever-flowing and going thing. Sometimes I'm not too linear, and time does weird things when we're... uh, in these, these uh, creating these shows and, and sharing together, but I certainly it is a high point of my week to get together Me with too. my brothers here and Me talk too. about this Thank stuff and share. And the last time we were talking about, we're talking about a lot of things. We're talking about uh, stages of development that go from, in a real simple version, from uh, egocentric, ethnocentric, world centric, cosmocentric, and how those are reflected in the, in the process of, of the journey. Also, you brought up the last time I didn't get to talk about it, but there's uh, here we go. <laughs> One of the you know, these different levels, but you can see here there's different lines that are our different stages of development. So you may, mm-hmm. you know, you may be at this real, you know, high level intellectually, you know, the second tier integral level, but emotionally you haven't done any work. So you're really down in the basement. Yeah. And uh, that's actually where Don Beck and Ken Wilbur kind of clash, you know. Ken, uh, Don kind of said there was just kind of one mega line, and that's all that really mattered. And Ken said, no, it's more complex than that. Unfortunately, I think it is. It is uh, I'll have to, to go with Ken on that one. There Me is too. complexity. Me too. And it, that's why when we talk about working the four basic capacities or line, the body, the mind, uh, the emotion, the shadow stuff, and the spiritual, that all of them have to be pretty much at a, at a you know, like an equalizer, pretty much at the same level, not perfectly, but pretty much alignment, because if there's too much, you know, one is too down, if, like I said, if you, you uh, if your, your, your intellect is way higher than your emotional development, just going to cause pathology and problems. And, and I think that kind of problem can actually lead, be one of the feeders of addiction. There's a lot of complexity there. Mm-hmm. And uh, thanks for bringing up. And of course, you were talking about shame, 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 shame. And I wanted to say one thing about that. In my years of experience working in the wilderness and recovery programs and listening to, to people's stories with uh, boys or teenage boy, young men and, and young women, when I would ask the young women about uh, it, and these these were programs that were dealing with addiction. Uh, were you ever, you know, did you ever have sex when you didn't want to have sex? Mm-hmm. You know, was there anything? And it's like 100% almost all the time, you know, and that's uh, and the boys too. You think, you know, you think it wouldn't be as much with guys, but man, it's, it's really prevalent. Mm-hmm. And the problem is when that's done to you, and I emphasize done to you as a child, you take it on, you feel the guilt of it as if you're, it's your fault. Yeah. And that self-hatred and that and, and um, uh, just builds up and becomes toxic generator of self-hatred, constant stress, and and leads to relapse and also leads to the miracle release that drugs and alcohol provide in the early, you know, in the beginning stages of it. You know, finally, I can stop feeling the pain and the shame and the self-hatred for a while, and it's relieved to that. So if we're going to have a stable uh stable sobriety and on uh, you're going to have to deal with that stuff Mm -hmm. and uh, talking therapy is good, but it ain't enough. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into that more and more as, Mm -hmm. as uh, this conversation continues. I just want to Mm -hmm. kind of summarize uh, from our last, uh, what we were doing and Bob so appreciate what you put out there and uh, you you know, 
Anyway, it, it just came to my mind as you were talking. Thank you, John. Uh, Carl Jung made a distinction between different energies, solar energies and lunar energies. Um, this, he certainly didn't invent this. This is part of every traditional culture. But it just occurred to me kind of a new way of, for me to think of it as I was listening to you talk about those four essential lines is that, uh, and I'll, I'll tie it in personally to the story I just shared with you, which is, is, is my story is that I really accentuated the solar, and it came from a family where this was the case. And so the intellect got very developed for me, and spirituality got very developed, but they weren't linked to the accompanying lunar. And with lunar, I would connect body slash sexuality, was not as, it was not as developed, and, and how that connects to morality. And also uh, emotions and shadow work. That was not an emphasis in my growing up. It wasn't an emphasis in my... A development right through middle adulthood, it wasn't sufficient. And so it's as if I focused like Icarus, I focused on the sun at the expense of real remembering that there's the lunar or land uh, or earth below. And that's been the work of the last 10 years is to somehow reaccess and integrate uh, the lunar and have a full-bodied morality, a full-bodied yes. spirituality, a full-bodied intellect. I like the way that Rumi talks about body intelligence having at least as much importance as uh, cognitive intelligence. Yeah. And uh, that's been my compensation. And I honestly think that the, uh, the, the drug using and the getting high, et cetera, it was a way, it's like a poor form substitute. If I'm out of touch with the lunar, well, I can just get talked up and I can meet the moon tonight. And I did yeah. a lot of that. And I, I, I don't think that that's all that unusual. That certainly is my story. And uh, the twist in my story is that I would I would interpret that that lunar visitation as being high minded spirituality, and I didn't realize that it, I was compensating for a bunch of unmetabolized material. So it took stopping the drugs before I'd get enough of a, a biological foundation to actually begin doing some authentic, really transformative shadow work, and uh, and to redeem the morality that had gotten so curtailed. So. Uh, some integration of solar and lunar comes to mind as I listen to you, John. Yeah, yeah. And and the body wisdom, you say masculine, feminine, you know, the solar yeah. being the, yeah. the masculine or yeah. being the uh, yeah. the left brain, you know, the yeah. analytical. Yeah. And that's all wonderful. Mm-hmm. However, there's another half, yeah. you know, the other brain, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, the that's right good. brain that's a more intuitive, more embodied. Uh, yes. the, and you have to bring those things together and yeah. get those into balance. Mm-hmm. And in our culture, our Western culture, that's been in, in not to mention academics, there's been so much emphasis on, on the solar, 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 solar. And when you get out of balance, you know, things happen. The bicycle wobbles and you crash, you know, and you have to bring that back. So it's Eros and Agape that Eros reaching out, striving, climbing, raising, growing, and the agape, the nurturing, bringing it back in together with self-compassion, self-love, the uh, more often associated with feminine, not female, but feminine typology, at least, which is something that we will explore in depth in a future episode as well. I'm an example of the, of, of the menu not being the meal, you guys, is that I taught for years at the graduate level, teaching what you just talked about, Doug, and what you've been talking about, John. And so I taught about the virtue of integrating apparent opposites, including uh, 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 sexual uh, uh, gender uh, uh, archetypes and and typology, and so I was like the poster child for talking about it. <laughs> I talked a lot about the menu <laughs> as the meal ate my lunch, <laughs> and and so that that the models that we're talking about are instructive and elucidating, 
But in, John, I know that you're, to me in my life, you're the exemplar of this. Without practice, it's just a menu. And yeah. The practice had to be full-bodied. I was engaged. I mean, I, I just had somebody ask me this yesterday in the, in the treatment program. Um, these are people very early in recovery, most of them from heroin and, and uh, methamphetamine uh, addiction. And some of them are very spiritually developed in terms of a lot of history of meditation, et cetera. And somebody asked me this question yesterday, and I said, what I noticed is that once I got sober, I had, I had, I had created these 25 or 30 years of grooves of meditation. It isn't like that wasn't accessible. Um, as soon as I got my mind clear and began meditating, it's a little bit like muscle memory. John, you work out. If you miss, if you miss a few months, you'll lose some of your muscle. So you sure. come back and you're buff within like a week. Yeah. yeah but okay. We're back on. Yeah. You know, game it's on. like that. It's like that around spiritual practice for yeah. me, but I really needed to incorporate a full body spiritual practice. And I, it wasn't like I was ill served by the meditation. It was just, it was uh, partial, not, not, not enough. Not enough. Yeah. You know, and, and when you were talking about your story last time, I was just really moved by, you were a very sincere guy. You know, you were a sincere drunk. I mean, you were a sincere, I mean, you were really, thinking you were finding your way and you know, you, you, you fell on your face and that's, I mean, that is every wisdom story. John, your chapter in your book, uh, or maybe it's a chapter in my book and I think it's derived from yours. It is a chapter in my book derived from you, John, <laughs> about the best and the brightest. The last yeah, chapter, my, the, the working last chapter of my book is on the best and the brightest is that there are plenty of people that have gotten into addiction that don't represent the best and the brightest unless we look at it spiritually and that, and that, and I think it's very possible to look at all of us as having the elite, the best and brightest in us. But there are a lot of really creative, really bright, really sincere people that have gotten really uh, trashed by addiction and have died owing to it. And, um, it's been humbling for me, for sure, because my sincerity faked me out. That's for sure. <laughs> faked me out. I wasn't trying sure. to fake anybody. It faked me out. Having said that, I really do know my heart. And I know the heart of a lot of people uh, that have gotten horribly addicted to uh, drugs or behaviors or whatever like that. It, I, I really agree with you. If you've got a sensitive soul, you're at risk for, for being taken out. All the more reason to have a full-bodied practice. And I feel like I'm an example of that. I'm not without sin. I'm not without limitation. I'm not without meanness, but I know where my primary center of gravity is. And it informs my working with, with, uh, with the addicts early in recovery that I work with now. It reminds me of Mother Teresa in the streets of Calcutta, where she would look at the eyes of the lepers that she was treating, and she said she saw Jesus in every one of their eyes. And I would aspire to that. But I yeah. guarantee you, when I look at addicts, I don't stop looking at their, I don't stop by looking at their scabs and their hair loss and their blank eyes because somewhere inside of there is a John or a Doug or a Bob that's a good person. And yeah. that's who I want to speak to. And I, I am that as an addict. And shame would have gotten me to forget that. What happened for me around my own addiction is I began to look at myself through the eyes of those that would stigmatize me, that would judge me. Real or imagined, a lot of it was imagined, and some of it's real. People, you know, it's like you are the scum of the flippant earth for being an addict. But I internalized that and began looking at myself that way, so I stopped seeing Jesus in my own eyes. And that's the worst crime of shame, it seems like, is that I lose that spiritus, and with that, then I'm a goner. Um, and I've regained that. I've regained that in sobriety. I've regained that in recovery. And I want to give that to others. That's incredibly, that's primary meaning for me is to give that to others. And Bob, but you also, there's a certain brokenness to you, you know, and, 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 and it's really beautiful. I had a teacher once to tell me, he said, yeah. you know, you have a lot of good pain. And I was like, what? 
And, you know, and it's like, it's there, you know, and that, that from that brokenness, from that suffering, it, it just shows in you, in your, how you present and how you communicate and how you are as a human being, you, you have compassion, you know, thank you brothers. John. And, thank um, you. most of us have to really suffer, thank you know, to, to, to achieve that. And, uh, and I know I, I shared this before. Thanks, John. I know I shared this before. And then I want to ask Doug for his input here. Um, I shared this poem recently, even from a Rumi. It's just a single line where he says, a prophet's soul is especially afflicted. Yes. Because it has to become so powerful. Mm-hmm. And if I look at power in the way you just said it, John, it's a, it's a kind of depthful uh, power that's the opposite of arrogance. Yeah. It's like a humble power. I like the way that uh, uh, a Tibetan book calls it ruthless compassion. Yeah. <laughs> it's ruthless. It's not pretty, and it's got lots of scars and this and that, and it's compassionate. It's born out of suffering. It's born out of uh, Jesus was the what? The man of constant sorrows, yeah. the suffering servant um, who was acquainted with grief. Those images of, of the archetype of wholeness, uh, across all traditions, Christianity, yeah. Islam, Buddhism, Taoism, and so on. Every one of them points towards having deep acquaintanceship with the valley of the shadow of death. And if it doesn't take us out, it nearly took me out. It probably nearly took you out, John. You too, yeah. Doug. If it doesn't take us out and we can find resource like what we're talking about and being here, it's like what we have to give to the world is unbelievable. I could not believe that this would be my fate. I'm so grateful it is my fate. quote here that I wanted to share from... Anthony DeMello, who is a... He's a Jesuit. He's a Jesuit, yes. (laughs) Um, A really interesting thinker and and, uh, shaped some of my early notions of understanding what spirituality could be when before my understanding of spirituality uh, was much more closely related to a blue or amber mythic literal understanding, uh, Anthony DeMello kind of showed me the potential and the possibility there. He says, uh, very much related to what you were talking about, Bob, that people who want a cure, provided they can have it without pain, are like those who favor progress, provided they can have it without change. <laughs> That's a great sure, right, 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 right. Wow. Well, yeah. I sure as hell tried it without pain for a long time, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Haven't got time for the pain, Carly Simon. <laughs> well, yeah. And we, what we want to do is change, you know, ignorant pain into noble pain. You know, we, we learn to work with the darkness. So we're willing to work with, our, with our, our brokenness, with our shadow stuff. And, and you know, at a certain point. Um, and by the way, I want to let everybody know you can get a, you can get a free um, mm. uh, meditation deep. Uh, deep delta which is a part of this thing and my it favorite. is a fantastic my track and so that will give you a uh entry into deep uh contemplative meditation and prayer if you you're not already there and if you are you're there you'll feel it even more i mean it's like it's not uh, a lot of the people that use i wakes up are, are very advanced meditators and they can really feel the power of this so uh yeah so that's one of the tools and we'll, we'll, once we get into practice every subject we hear we have here it seems just about infinite you know yeah. uh, every every door that's open we could just yeah. just completely go into it so yeah. um i, I want to give just a, a humorous antidote because we've been so heavy for a while and we have a pam and i have a friend who's a father edmund grace who comes from dublin and spends i don't know mm-hmm. six weeks with us every summer something mm-hmm. like that he was up in the uh meditation room meditating and then we have a meditation room upstairs and he had his cup of coffee uh 
next to him. And Lucy, my dog, you know, she has full access. And she walks up and she gets a big slurp out of his uh, coffee cup. And he goes, all right, that's a bloody enough. Uh, no, he said, I said, no, I'm not a bloody Franciscan. so anyway um yeah so i'm not a, all right i'm not a bloody franciscan i'm pretty much a bloody franciscan john i want to riff off of that last statement about a bloody franciscan and this is not meant to be unfair to franciscans at all just to riff off of that metaphor is that that's that's one of the things that's in common here as we talk about addiction is we're, we're not bloody Franciscans. We're not, uh, you know, uh, we've, we've had our asses kicked and we will kick asses and we have done that. Yes. And, and it's, it's like, it's a, it, I, I like how you talk, it's a, like a noble suffering. Someone uh, once equated suffering with consciousness, you know, like, you know, it's only through suffering that we gain consciousness. But you could just, you have to modify that. It's only through conscious suffering that you develop consciousness. It's quite a, quite possible in my experience in psychology is that most people generally speaking experience suffering unconsciously and it doesn't build anything. Yeah. It just builds a traumatic state of mind out of which you begin to operate with your personality. So uh, uh, we're not good Franciscans. Uh, the, the Icelandic singer Bjork says, I'm not a fucking Buddhist, you know, uh, which is, is to say she is. <laughs> You're right, 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 right. right, right. <laughs> Or one of my favorite cops, I, I keep forgetting the name. He has, he's, uh, he's a New York Jewish uh, guy who has a Buddhist name. He's one of my favorite uh, Buddhist teachers, and, and I'll give him credit. But he goes, you know, let's, what the hell with Buddhism? Let's just be Buddha. No, let's just be Buddhas, you know? Yeah. And I was yeah. like, oh, that yeah. totally makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Let's not, you know, let's not make a religion of waking up. Let's just wake up. One of the things that happens working with addicts, and it's the addict in me, it's the addict in you, Doug, it's, it's, the, it's, it's the addict in you, John hope I can use that in, in a general sense. It's like one thing is about working with ourselves and working with others in and around addiction and recovery is that um, cute little categories of Buddhism or Christianity or integral or a recovery, they don't hold water. It's like, you know, you, you try to present that to somebody, John, you know this from years of experience. You try to present some model that doesn't have heft, that doesn't have depth, to be able to contain Absolutely. dark shadow, it'll just it'll just it'll burn up like a tissue uh, in a flame. It just you've got to find a deeper standpoint, and it's a it's a deeper Franciscanism that we're looking for. Yeah, yeah, like like Francis, a big hero of mine, by the way. Yeah, and, and, and one one point I just want to make, you know, that that I mean, like you you were saying, Bob, in your story, not only not only. Uh, you know, my brother who committed suicide was also addicted to pain medication because he was so depressed and he was taking the stuff Absolutely. and that eventually led to his, his death and his demise. Um, but this, the stuff that we're talking about as we begin to move into, you know, what is the practice of integral recovery is that it's not just for addicts. So-called addicts is for all of us. You know, we're, we all suffer, man. We all lose our way. We all forget who and what we really are. We all suffer from whatever stories that came out of our childhood or in the world or the suffering around us. I mean, we, this, this thing that we're advocating is not just for addicts. It's just the addicts were the squeaky wheel that got the attention in this case, because it's just so dramatic, but man, but every, every human being needs to have a practice that keeps their body strong, that keeps their minds healthy, that lets them deal with their emotions and their pain, and not only their personal stuff, but just to be alive. 
when there's so many human suffering and past, present, future, all of that stuff, and contain it in uh, an expansive, almost infinite uh, level of, of consciousness and mindfulness and ground of beingness, if you will, God, if you, you want you know, to use it that way. And you've got to tap into that. And, and I think addiction is truly an attempt for depth among many people. Some people it's not. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of, just like as we get into types, I think different types use uh, drugs for different reasons, you know. But in many cases, because we live in really shallow, often, you know, surfacey society, it's the depth where where is is where we find the connection the healing and the the um, inspiration and meaning that it flows out and and covers the whole world with its brilliance you know and if you just live on the surfaces after after maybe in the early stages it's you know it's all fun and games it's all going good whether you're talking about drugs or you're talking about sex or you're talking about egocentric careers or whatever it might be but as the soul begins to develop that stuff becomes very, very unsatisfying. And with the fires of addiction, man, the pain goes up so much and you get down to the bottom uh, more quickly than it might be if you weren't using drugs. So in some ways it could be, who is it that said it was, um, um, oh, the poet who did the uh, English poet, he said that the the road of uh, uh, wisdom is through- Blake. Yeah, Blake is through the the something of excess, you know, and for, for, for those of us, who've come through and a lot of us don't make it, you know, there's a hell of initiation addiction. A lot of, a lot of us die and a lot of us don't. So, um, anyway, there it is. But this deep transformational work that we're talking about here and that we're attempting through integral recovery practice is not easy. It's not an easy road. And even People in their normal lives in a talk about the normies, <laughs> even yeah. even people who could very much benefit from doing this kind of work often don't have the motivation to undertake it or to stick with it right. without some kind of powerful catalyst and addiction sure as hell is one. Yeah. There are plenty of other things that can provide that catalyst to um, push a person into the transformational work. But in that way, I feel that my addiction made me lucky in a way, or, or at very least, I, I won't go so far as to say that I was lucky to be an addict, but I am grateful in retrospect for the push it gave me to pursue the, the development of myself that otherwise I would not have had the incentive to undertake. And I continue to learn from it, continue to grow, too. I just recently celebrated my uh, four-year sobriety anniversary and continue to continue to uh, uh, deepen and appreciate my understanding continue to grow and continue to work through the things i don't think there's an end to it in integral stages we're talking about second tier and then you move into third and fourth tier and it, it never ends uh yeah ken ken wilbur says in sex ecology spirituality he talks about it's turtles all the way up and turtles all the way down we're talking about pull-ons at this point but it never ends is is the point and i'm just grateful to be on the journey it occurs to me as i'm saying this too that uh one of the real dangers one of the pitfalls people can fall into and certainly i went through this for a period too is the tendency to get lost in the search always looking for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and never sticking with any particular practice long enough to see the results from it yeah i heard it said and i'm not a 
programmer, by the way, but I heard it said in relation to learning a program language that it doesn't really matter which one you choose to learn, but learn one and learn it well, and it makes the other stuff easier, mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, dabbling here and there and putting in bits and pieces of everything. You go deep, and then you can go wide with a much broader understanding because you see the way yeah. the concepts translate. Um, it applies to spirituality too. I was lost in the search for a long time. I dabbled in a lot of different things and took bits and pieces from all of them, but it wasn't until I committed to a path long enough to see results from it and, and the benefits from practicing a particular system of meditation consistently for years that some of the other things started to make sense and I could enrich my own understanding and experience from the wisdom that these other traditions had to offer. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and uh, it's so it's important. I mean, it, it's, it's hard because some practices just don't work. You know, I mean, you know, you can sleep on crystals. I don't think it's going to do much. I'm sorry, <laughs> you crystal lovers out there, but I went through that search too, you know, as it, as it got out of, uh, you know, kind of went to the postmodern, so, you know, sniffed around in the new age stuff. And I was in the wilderness a lot, which, you know, as a guy and spent a lot of time, it was very transformational for me. And I also had a, a mentor and an elder who was a Native American medicine man and elder. He was great. But he was a big soul. I mean, he would, I don't think he was purple at all. I think he was way up there. He had a universal heart. And uh, one of his, you know, because there's a lot of racism, uh, interior racism in, in Native American cultures because they've been so put down. And then there's, of course, you know, we, the white folks have certainly not covered ourselves in glory. It's how, how we treated our, our you know, the, the original inhabitants of the land, et cetera. But in the sweat lodge, he would say, hey, you know, all our blood is red, so let's just get over ourselves and pray together. You know, it's just like, yeah, thanks, grandfather. Right on. So uh, anyway, so there's some practices that really work. And uh, um, the same thing, I, I was a haunted uh, mystic. You know, I had my first big spiritual thing when I was 11. And then some were drug induced, some weren't. But it was always a sense of a greater, higher power, greater consciousness that I tapped into. But I wasn't able to stabilize it for too long. And I didn't have the eldering. You know, when I had this big, you know, the Christian opening as a kid, I was, you know, remember the Catholic Church and there was no, there was no guidance there. You know, if I had a at 11, if I could have read St. John of the Cross or something, you know, maybe I would have figured it out. But it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, the priests weren't, anybody was pointing me there. So it, it's, and sometimes that journey, you know, the journey is, uh, is difficult. And it's supposed to be freaking difficult. You know, one of my favorite stories is, is um, Parsifal, right? Mm-hmm. Von Eschenbach's version of it. Uh, I guess it was 12th century or, or 13th century. And it's a story of this young fool that leaves home, goes out, leaves his mom and goes out into the world and has some initial successes and then falls on his face. Oh, and he finds a grail castle when he's a young man. All right. He has this experience, the castle, all oh, the, then he didn't ask the right question and it disappears. Boom. Then he goes from misadventure to misadventure to misadventure, falling on his face and doing all these things. When he finally comes back to the grail castle, and uh, he finds it again after being, you know, a beat up guy. And I think there's something, you know, uh, almost essential in the spiritual journey. And boy, if addiction is not, you know, the night going off the wrong path and, and losing the grail and, you know, getting bewitched and all the things that happen in these adventure stories. But he comes back and he goes, 
he finally, he answers, he asks the question, whom does the grail serve? You know, he finds this cup in the grail. It's like Jesus's blood. And there's all these things are the ultimate truth of the, probably the more esoteric meaning of what it means to be a human being and what that is, that we are the grail. Uh, he asks the right question. And then the story ends. There's no resolution. You know, it doesn't answer whom does the grail serve. But I think that's a fantastic uh, medicine question, Mm -hmm. medicine in the Native American sense, not in like throw some oxycodone on it, but in a healing sense is whom does your recovery serve? You know, Mm -hmm. once it's like, yeah, I just don't want to die, you know, Mm -hmm. in a ditch or, or, you know, in a back alley or something and just lose everything that I care about. But beyond that, or maybe even that, that's the Holy Grail in the moment, you know. I don't want to abandon my children. I don't want to abandon my family. I don't want to abandon my country, my calling, whatever it matters. And then as, 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 as the journey progresses and it deepens with the practices over time and service and all the stuff that makes up a viable, true, uh, spiritual, emotional, integral path, if you will, the, the constant reflection, whom does the Grail serve, you know, what is this about? And I think that that is an infinite question and it keeps deepening and expanding uh, over time and on the journey on the road. Let me riff off of that for just a second, John. Thank Certainly. you. I, I, I think it's implied in, in, in what you were saying. Whom does the grail serve has a different answer at each of those levels that we talked about uh, yep. uh, in, in our uh, 10th and 11th uh, podcasts. And uh, I'll tie it into personally. And Doug, I'd love to hear from you around this too. And I do want to hear your story, Doug. If not this session, another session, I'd really like to hear your story. Um, Is that I thought that my addictive behaviors were serving the grail of the green level, or even maybe of the integral, the second tier level. But certainly the, the, I felt like this was in service of the gods really from a very green kind of Jungian informed spirituality, uh, kind of Jung meets Buddha type of spirituality and uh, was surprised by it. It's a friend of mine in refuge recovery recently said there was a big bait and switch. You know, you got, you got sold a bill of goods and all of a sudden, no, that isn't what I signed on for. And in fact, uh, uh, the grail that I thought was serving higher purpose was really uh, serving kind of the red Viking. I mean, I, I, that even puts down Vikings. I don't even want to do that. It was just like really base red, uh, even purple and beige kind of instinctuality and so on. And so that the first move of moving towards sobriety, uh, first move in recovery is moving towards literal, literal sobriety. And that's in service of physical survival. It's just like, if I don't, if I don't survive this and it nearly took me out physically, I need to survive that. So the Grail King at that, excuse me, the Grail at that point serves physical survival. But what does physical survival serve? And uh, the, the the move began to enlarge for me. Well, it uh, because the work I do is teaching. Uh, how about if my physical survival serves my giving something to others? And so I begin to kind of move back up the evolutionary ladder or the spiral dynamics ladder to begin once again to reaccess orange and green levels, it seems like to me. Um, and maybe one of my issues with, with the uh, uh, primarily blue recovery group that I was involved in uh, was that it didn't seem like it pointed beyond sobriety. I mean, there was a lot of talk about that, and the meetings were set up. Our, our highest value is for the newcomer that comes in. We want to help them get sober. 
And I realized that I had a, a, a real respect for that, but that wasn't sufficient. It began to feel like spiritual milk to me, and I needed meat. And well, the meat yeah, because, because it's totally developmentally appropriate. Get yes. your red drunk dragon in there and get into a blue structure group. Oh, by the way, it's not all about you and whacking everybody with your Thor's hammer. You know, it's about service, humility, following the rules. Yeah. Here's, this, here's the book. Do what your elders tell you to do. Do what your sponsor says. And that's all of the, the great stuff that, that brings one out of that chaotic, uh, you know, red or, or below stuff. And that's super appropriate what, for that structure to be there and to give order and and responsibility in a sense of this is right and this is wrong. I better, you know, be humble and do good and examine myself and serve others. After a while, great. That is a foundation, but it's a foundation. It doesn't mean you don't build the first floor. You know, if you just obsess on the foundation, you'll miss what the foundation is for. The foundation enables us to keep building the building. And I think that's maybe because the developmental model wasn't really understood at the, you know, the, the beginnings of AA and stuff. They've lost that. So just to add this particular piece gives it a dimensionality and a depth and and a, a true kind of teleological uh, thrust in the whole uh, um whole journey of what we said cleaning up waking up showing up and and are growing up and showing up i'm particularly so. sensitive to this because of my background uh in the profession of psychology you know i've got uh three or four decades now of being immersed in professional psychology particularly teaching psychologists and therapists and training and supervising and so on and so it didn't take me very long and i think i'm particularly sensitized to it, it didn't take me very long to begin to experience what felt like an anti-psychological bias uh, in, in the, uh, the the 12-step environment. And I, I really like what you said, John, is I think uh, uh, AA and, and the foundations were built in a pre-psychological kind of climate, certainly pre-developmental. And I don't expect for, I don't go to the Bible to read about antibiotics, you know. I don't go to the, the, the big book of AA to read, read about <laughs> yeah, development. The Bible contains all the truth. Well, what's it yeah. say about antibiotics? You know? yeah. um, so there, there's some real grace, I think, in that. But at the same time, I was yearning for, I mean, how can I split off my psychology? How can I split off a very cultivated contemplative spirituality? You know, when the big book talks about meditation, it's not talking about what I know as contemplative practice. That's for damn sure. And and uh, we'll talk about that another time some more. So I'm yearning for more and um, very grateful for the foundations that have been laid. But for me, it, was a, it wasn't a theoretical thing. It was a very personal thing. It's like I, I need to I need to find brethren, sistren that I can interact with on psychological and spiritual levels too, especially as I have a foundation of literal yeah. sobriety. Back to the grail, the grail serves all of those levels. The grail serves serves my physical sobriety. It serves my developing my mind again after it's kind of been blown out, getting some clear thinking, thanks to people like Ken Wilbur. It involves my re-embracing my, deeply, uh, my deep affinity for contemplative spirituality, pri- pri- primarily uh, Christian monasticism and Buddhist practice are, are the practices I've engaged in for decades, but I needed to get sober to do that. And I wanted something that would be, I wanted the grail to serve all of those kings. Yeah. And I think that integral, the integral map, this integral community that we're talking about in integral practice is a way to cultivate. And it's been a godsend for me. Um, and I don't think that integral proposes to replace anything. It's about incorporating the best of everything. John, you're the, you're the pioneer of this languaging of it, but I really have felt that. So anyway, in, in the spirit of the grail, there's a developmental unfolding for me, for sure, of coming out of 
rank addiction into increasing sobriety and deepening recovery where the grail that whom the grail served uh, evolved and continues to. I will be forever grateful to AA for the pioneering work that they have done, but it's a, also a model that does not work for everyone. People who had a lot of knowledge of psychology or were unable to accept uh, that, that blue amber level of spirituality often struggle with it for a long time and, and are unable to make AA work for them. Certainly I did. And I have seen in a lot of young people too, a resistance to the program because of the language they used, even when the return to a blue level group is very much what is needed to continue on, on their recovery and their journey of development, which is why I'm so incredibly grateful for some of the other, uh, methodologies of recovery that are coming to be these days, the Buddhist recovery communities and, uh, you know, refuge recovery and smart recovery and what we're doing here with integral recovery as well, because it provides a different languaging and a different understanding in addition to what is offered and what was offered by AA that I hope a lot of people will be able to connect with. Yeah. You know, and and just, just, just props for AA and the 12 steps. I mean, they were the only people doing anything right. for decades that's right and, and, and if they only help five percent or ten percent of the people that's millions of lives saved you know <laughs> a lot more than the medical profession was doing or anybody else or the churches were doing so i mean they worked with what they had and they, i think that by and large you know it was a wonderful thing nobody was getting rich it wasn't a big cult thing uh you know the wisdom of dr bob and they were they're pretty i mean uh, i think bill w kind of thought about that for a while but his you know, Bob was there to kind of keep him grounded in what it was really about. And so it was a really beautiful uprising of the human spirit yeah. to to develop a, uh, a source of support and healing for some for something nobody else was doing. You know, to lock them up, put them in prison or just let them die on the streets. You know, they were out there trying. And the, the, it was, it's a wonderful, uh, a beautiful story. And, yeah, we've learned a lot since then. And it's not enough. You know. John, this is testimony to the spirit you talked about in the lecture two two times ago on the steps. It really was a lecture. You needed to present the material, and I really respect that. But when you talk about moving from first tier to second tier, this is what you're being right now is the embodiment of second tier. You too, Doug, it seems like to me to really appreciate that which preceded in terms of, of foundational to uh, instrumental to what comes next. And I, I, it, it gets no more practical than that. There's no demonizing energy here. It's meant to be inclusive. I like how you talk about it, John, is it may not be reciprocal. You talk about if you, uh, you can tell these stories. You talk about, I'm, I hate to even say it, but you talk about like if you're a Mormon and you, you come to a meeting, I'll let you tell the story. There's a way that there may not be reciprocal appreciation for your inclusivity. John, do you want to tell that story? I love that. Oh, well, no, I just, you know, I, I can, you can do Catholic, Mormon. It doesn't matter. I, doesn't I matter. live in yeah. Mormon country and, and, you know, I really, really, I love my neighbors and appreciate them very much and have some deep friendships over the years. But, you know, you go to Mormon church and this is any, you know, yeah. Uh, uh, amber or blue level, you know, religion where there's only one way. And you go in and say, you know, hey, everybody, God bless. It's awesome day. And uh, I've been here with you 30 years and I just adore you all. And it's been great 30 years, but I really feel called to go study Buddhism. So I'm just saying goodbye for, you know, <laughs> goodbye. And it's like, oh, brother, we love you. Thank you so much. And like, you are so fucked. You're going to burn hell so bad. It's going to really hurt, you know. Yeah. And so, yeah, so that's that's one of the things where you get kind of a, uh, you know, that, that kind of fundamentalist field of thing or culty. Mm-hmm. 
thing. And AA can be like that too. And sometimes AA is just grabbing somebody by the pants and hauling them back in because they know you're going to go kill themselves. And the other hand, it can be this, there's no, uh, there's no uh, noble way. There's no a graceful way to move on. You know, I, you know, I really got it. Thank you so much, but I need to go and, and do this, this other thing now to, to, you know, to complete my growth. And so there, there, there's both of those things, but yeah, there has to be a, it has to be okay to leave. To put it in, to put it in spiral dynamics language, blue never looks at orange as better than or desirable. It looks at it as less than blue. It's orange evolutionary. Yeah, it's that, going downhill. Orange looks at green the same way. Orange looks at green and says, how freaking idiotic it looks at. Tree hugging, you know, yeah, hippie, yeah. weak minded, you know, not till, not till you reach the second tier. And that's really where the, where, where the rubber meets the road with this. Not till the second tier. Do you do feel an adequate appreciation for every level that came before? And then a continuing wish to expand beyond whatever your definition today is of integral tomorrow should eclipse it. If you're really growing. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's no, you, you have to, there's no jumping stages. Mm-hmm. Although a lot of people try to do that. And I try to, you got to go back, you know, it's like, Oh, we have a third floor, but there's no second floor. <laughs> ah, bloom, you know, <laughs> so, so it all works. And so, and anything, you know, it's just the recognition of that. And also I want to, everybody, if you, if, you know, go to the, go to the website, the integral uh, Institute website that, that uh, Doug here revived and, and, and it's made something really beautiful. Get the book, uh, the book that I wrote, integral recovery, just yes. as kind of a primer for this. Yes. You really understand. I think in some ways I wrote more clearly than I speak about it and uh um anyway it's a great book and it's own it's not that long it's a couple hundred pages but most people find it pretty compelling and also take advantage of the deep delta meditation track okay get there and start you know start your interior practice if you don't already have that going because it's a very effective form of meditation and you will the first time you use it you're going to experience some very powerful uh, state changes and if you keep up with that you will begin to feel the difference in yourself. And as you move throughout the, the day in your relationships, uh, it just, it just begins to change the whole story. And, uh, that's one of the things that, that, um, this integral model, the hard work and the day daily practice and the tools to do it effectively that we bring into this whole conversation of recovery and what it means to be a human and what we're here to do, et cetera. So. Thank you, John. Thank you, Doug. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys making making my uh, Saturday again, and also keep them cards and level com- letters coming, right? <laughs> so uh, we're going to do some of these things that are live, so you can come in and we can talk. But yeah. we we love we love the emails, and we love any questions that you might have, and, and it gives us something to talk about because we're running out of things to talk about, quite frankly. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, anyway. drop us a line on the Facebook group. Like John said, come and come and join us there on the Facebook group. Uh, if you visit integralrecoveryinstitute.com, not only can you pick up your deep Delta meditation, but uh, also you can join our community there. We'll have links to Facebook group. Um, you can leave us comments on the contact page and lots of good ways to start getting connected with uh, this growing community. We're going to start uh, doing some meetings soon and we'll have more to follow. All of it's there on the website. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast. 
today's episode is brought to you by iAwake Technologies. Visit integralrecoveryinstitute.com slash iAwake for the best meditation tracks to support your daily recovery practice. If you enjoyed today's episode, visit us on iTunes and hit subscribe for a new episode every Friday. While you're there, you can help others share the journey and the joy of integral recovery by leaving your five-star rating and a quick review. We're grateful for your support, and we'll see you next time on the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast.